0: Everybody is I. You all know you are you. And wheresoever beings exist throughout all galaxies, it doesn't make any difference. You are all of them. And when they come into being, that's you coming into being.
1: Yo, 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 beautiful people. How's it going? Hope you are all doing well wherever you are in the world. And I just wanted to mention that you guys out there are honestly so amazing people been getting sometimes between 20, 30, 40 emails a week from you guys, and it really is humbling of all the messages and all the inspiration that you guys give us. Times you guys probably think that you're, I'm giving you inspiration, but honestly, the messages that you guys send over to me, it really does give me so much fuel. Um, I've mentioned this many times in the podcast, but I'm, I'm really not, I'm just like you guys, I'm just sort of asking the same questions as you. And at the same time, as my journey unfolds, I'm sharing it on the podcast with you guys and obviously hopefully helping you. And <clears throat> I'm not somebody who's on this pedestal. i said it many times. I'm just exactly like you guys. I'm just asking all the biggest questions. And when you guys email me, it really is so humbling. It really does give me so much uh, It really does sort of tap to the core of what I really want to do, What the reason why I'm doing this podcast and it really does give us so much fuel. So I just want to say thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. From that, it really is because there is times, guys. Honestly, when I mean, I, I I'm just same as you. I go through moments in my life where I'm struggling with certain things. I'm trying to figure things out. And when I get these messages, it really does sort of it puts my it puts what I'm doing in perspective and really gets me sort of if if I am going through a time where I'm struggling with something, it puts us back on on the right path and sort of. Gives me um, sort of purpose and helps me, and it sort of helps me shape what I'm, what I should be really doing. So thank you so much for that from the bottom of my heart. It helps me as you guys are helping me as much as I'm helping you. That's what I'm trying to say. And I just wanted to mention as well, I'm really excited about this. I mentioned a few months ago that I was in the early progress of getting started a retreat for you guys in a Send Podcast retreat. I'm now really happy to say that. I'm now actually 100% got the place, got the venue where we're going to be doing the retreat. It is going to be in the south of France. Um, It's absolutely a stunning place. I know I mentioned a while ago that I was looking at places in the UK, in the Lake District, where I love to go. But for some reason, that didn't come to fruition. So I've found a really beautiful place. And the good thing about the south of France is that you know that the weather's going to be amazing. So we can go hiking and we can do some amazing cool stuff outside, outdoors. But the place that I've got, obviously I'll share with you guys in a few weeks, hopefully. But the place really is a magical place and I cannot wait to share share with you guys. So... Like I said, I'll be able to share that, share some more information with you on that and obviously in the next couple of weeks, hopefully, and it'll be live and you'll be able to sort of sign up to the retreat. But in the meantime, there is an email opt-in on the Send Podcast website if you want to add to the wait to the sort of the waiting list on that. And soon as the, the retreat goes live. I'll basically send you guys over an email so you'll be the first to know about the retreat. And at the same time as well, obviously I'll mention it on the podcast as well, but just obviously there's only going to be, currently at the minute, there's only going to be 12 places for the retreat. So so when the, when it does go live, obviously you're probably just going to have to be quick. So I cannot wait to share that with you guys anyway. that'll be. I'll speak more about that in the next few weeks. It should be going live in a couple of weeks, so keep an eye out for that. So anyway, this week on the Send Podcast is a conversation with a lady called Dr. Rosalind Watts. I've wanted to speak with her for a very long time. She's somebody who is doing some very powerful work and research in the the area of psychedelics. She is a clinical psychologist at the psychedelic uh, research group at the Imperial College London. She really is doing some powerful research on psychedelics. In, in particular psilocybin on the effects of the human mind and in particular depression I think as you know a lot of people in the world are struggling in the modern day world are struggling with um, psychological problems and I think if you know if you you will know that if you've ever had experience of psychedelics sometimes in your mind you always think well wow if this if this is how profound this is this could definitely help so many people in the world especially in the Western world and all over the world in general. And that's what I've thought on many occasions when I've had these experiences. It really does unravel deeper layers than you can ever imagine. And I, and I always think that imagine if any every single person on the planet who is struggling with certain problems could have this, would be incredible. But as you know, um, legislation and um, illegalities of this is really hard in the Western world as it's frown, as you know psychedelics is frowned upon and it is changing and Rosalind Watts is one of them people who is really sort of making an impact on them changes because she is sort of doing really solid scientific research on this. She's sort of really getting from an academic point of view so it really is powerful. We need a lot of people from if coming from this perspective It's okay, I see see a lot of us, like myself, just going out, taking magic mushrooms or whatever we take and sort of having these amazing, profound experiences. But we need people in the field and in the area who is really coming from an academic background, who is doing solid research so that we can get this um, on a mass scale to help people out there. So that's what Dr. Rosalind Watts is doing anyway. And she really is sort of um, doing some powerful stuff. And in this podcast, obviously, she... um, she talks about and draws on some of her experiences um, working as a therapist and she talks about some of the sort of uh, the ground uh, groundbreaking studies that she's come across and what she's been doing. She talks about some of the patients and some of their stories and some of their transformations. And as you know, um, with uh, psychedelics, it really does sort of, from my own perspective, not only sort of um, does it... Give you this sort of increased um, connection to the self it increases It increases your connection to sort of everything around you and the and the and i really do feel that the the world of psychedelics and the conversation of psychedelics it's it, i do feel that it's i've mentioned this before but it is beyond just the physical i really think it cuts through a lot of stuff it cuts beyond it cuts all the way to the soul it speaks to the soul and i really do feel that it gets the grips of to them real deep layers which i feel that sort of a lot of us are working through in our lives i think all through our lives as you know we've been sort of steeped in conditioning and steeped in sort of trauma and programming or whatever else shit we've gone through and i really do feel that psychedelics really cuts to the soul of that and really speaks and unravels that on levels which is really incredible Another area that fascinates me, and I wish I never, and I wished I talked about this with Rosen but I never got around it for some reason, is the effects of psychedelics on the, on the gut biome. I think that's really interesting. I can definitely, I don't know if anyone's doing any studies on that. I would love to, if you guys out there have found any studies on that, I would love for you to send them over to us. But it is really fascinating because obviously, as you know, many cultures of the past talk about how we have many, we have, um, Various different brains, not just the brain in our heads. Many people talk about how one of the most important brains was, is within the gut. And I really do feel that in the future, maybe some studies on term, in terms of psychedelics on the gut biome could really be interesting and see the effects on that in our daily lives and sort of our patterns and stuff like that. So I think that's really cool. So if any, guys, if any of you guys know of any studies like that or anyone who speaks about stuff like that, I would love to um, be passed forward with that information because I think it's really that that could be interesting field in the future. I just wanted to mention as well, that in this podcast which I'm really gutted about. It's not a long pot, it's not a long conversation because, as I've mentioned in the past, prior to sometimes doing these podcasts before the actual podcast, we have pre-podcast, and for some reason during this one, I just completely lost track of time. I sp- thought we were speaking for much longer than we did like on the actual podcast, on the recording. So this conversation is maybe about over 30 minutes, something like that. But it's still a powerful conversation, as you will see. Something else, just before we jump off this one, I wanted to mention that um, in this conversation, you will see Dr. Rosalind Watts brings up something very interesting. I asked her a question in this about the backlash of psychedelics. And she said that one of the encounters that she has had on many occasions is actually... One of the most interesting backlashes that she has. Is actually not from sort of legislation. It's not from academics. She, she, it's not from doctors. She actually says it's from people in the field. Who is who is already sort of um, working in the field. Of sort of psychotherapy and things like that. And uh, therapists. And which I think is really interesting. Because actually there's a podcast that I did not put out. But I've had a very similar experience to this. And... I'm not one to hold back podcasts and not sort of um, and hide things from you guys. Um, Not to go too far, I'm not going to mention any names, but I did a particular podcast with somebody um, about I think it was about four or five months ago now. Can't remember the exact date anyway, and I had this encounter where I could what exactly what Rosalind said that. I do feel that there is therapists out there who sort of, who are fearful of psychedelics because they, they feel that their jobs would be sort of at, at, sort of, um, at threat. And anyway, I did a podcast with someone in particular and the person in particular said that they didn't want the podcast put out as well. So I'm obviously going to respect that. I could have, I could have easily put it out and it would have made me look really good. Um... I'm not want to do that. I don't want to be doing. I don't want to. I'm not. I don't want to have conversations with people that. I mean, maybe in the future I need to have conversations with more people who I do, do disagree with, and and then obviously that's how you find certain things. But in this podcast in particular, it was a conversation with a, um, a therapist, and I really thought before winning in the podcast that we had a lot of similarities, but as the podcast unfolded, I found that we didn't have a lot of similarities with this podcast. I did in particular. And we really did sort of um, have a lot of um, arguments and a lot of um, really interesting discussions. But I really did sort of... I do feel that in, a, in the conversation, I was a lot more well-versed than this person. I, I did a lot more studies. I'd looked into much more things than this person in particular did. And it really wasn't a good podcast for this uh, therapist in particular. But as Rosalind said in this one as well, I agree with her. And this is the experience I had is that I, from that encounter that I do feel that there is certain therapists that um, are fearful of psychedelics which is quite scary because it's going to hold back a lot of sort of help for a lot of people but anyway who knows i might end up putting that podcast out in the future still um but it probably not i might put it on the patreon or I might, I might you might get you guys might never ever see it but it was an interesting one and maybe in the future i have to do more of them let let me know if you want to see more of them if some some controversial podcast where maybe there's some people who who can find some big disagreements and have a sort of a good debate. But anyway, this podcast with Dr. Rosalind Watt is a powerful one. There's no debates in this one. We really did agree on a lot of stuff. She really is doing some powerful work. I just wanted to mention as well, if you can, please check out the Patreon page. It is the best way and currently the only way to support the podcast. You guys who support the podcast help me to keep doing this. As you know, I'm doing these podcasts on the road every week. And you guys are giving me an amazing platform to keep for, to, for me to keep sharing with you some amazing knowledge. So, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. And if you can, all I'm asking of you is check out the Patreon page. So, enjoy this conversation. Enough of my rambling. Enjoy this conversation with Rosalind Watts. Peace out. <laughs> dive in yeah yeah so um, trying to think maybe a good place to sort of introduce the sort of the topic itself mm-hmm. so would, would it be fair to say that your sort of your research has been sort of um, uh, researching into the sort of the, the psychedelic effects on sort of the mind but in particular depression
2: yes yeah. yeah yeah I mean the studies that I've been involved in have both been on depression the first was treatment resistant depression so people that had tried lots of different ways of managing their depression antidepressants talking therapy um, and the, the current trial is people with major depression so people don't have to have been through so many treatments before they access psychedelic therapy
1: cool so how did they how did in particular how did the, the sort of the depression research come about why why sort of why did you focus on that depression well,
2: okay. so um, before I joined the Centre for Psychedelic Research it was Robin Carhart-Harris and David Nutt um, the two of them started it together and they from their research with brain imaging they could see that psilocybin deactivates the default mode network and that's really the, the network in the brain that's responsible for rumination and depression is a Rumination is very central to depression. So when people are suffering from depression, they often describe feeling really attacked by negative thoughts that just go round and round constantly. And if you can deactivate the default mode network for a while, it seems that people can get some relief. So any kind of um, mental health problem where there's a lot of rumination could in theory be helped by psychedelics.
1: So do you see that be- that sort of that behavior is coming from sort of the the unconscious mind and is that sort of what you're trying to sort of work towards?
2: Well, So the the rumination is coming, that's, um, I wouldn't say that's coming, the the content of those thoughts is coming from the default mode network, which is your kind of, it's not so much your unconscious mind, it's your standard day-to-day thinking. Uh. But what psychedelics do is they deactivate that and allow you to get deeper down into the unconscious mind. So if you're stuck in your default mode network all the time, you'll be thinking about, It's kind of constant problem solving, need to do this, need to do this, do this, do this, kind of the mind just kind of chitter-chattering away. But if you can silence that for a while, it's like silencing the ego, you can get deeper down and that's what psychedelics can help us do. They can help people get to their deeper, um, sometimes repressed feelings that they're not even aware they have, but they're in a way controlling their life from underneath.
1: So is that what you, would you say that your sort of, the research that you're doing is trying to, to sort of get at, it's trying to get at them sort of, them deeper aspects of the self sort of see and trying to really sort of unravel and bring them to the table. Mm,
2: absolutely, yeah. It's it's difficult to get down to those deeper layers yeah, of self.
1: experience it myself. Yeah.
2: And meditation um, of course is, is one way, but it's really hard for people to, to develop a meditation practice, especially with, you know, people have jobs and lives and lots of, you know, kind of commitments. And also even without that, meditation is, it's challenging to get really, I mean, I struggle with it, but mm. what people often say is after a psychedelic experience, they find meditation easier and people often start a meditation practice after psychedelics. So we think the two things can work really well together.
1: Yeah, definitely. Something I wanted to touch on, I know you've, I've heard you sp- speak about the window of opportunity, mm. sort of that window where you can sort of, a, um, sort of try and unravel the, the, the habits within your mm. yourself. Could you speak a bit about that? Because I thought it was uh, really cool. Mm.
2: Yeah, so there seems to be this, um, this period of time, often, not always, but there seems to be a period of time after a psychedelic experience where people feel very open. They might, their senses might feel stronger. Their sense of taste, smell, vision, like all these things feel much clearer. And they also feel, they describe feeling quite connected and engaged. Um, I guess a bit like the world's gone from being gray to being a bit like multicolor. And in that period of time, people can feel much more motivated to make changes, much more like they can it often, often what stops people in depression from being able to make changes in their life is that they can't really see what those changes are we use the analogy of being kind of swimming on a, on a choppy surface of a sea and when the waves are constantly getting you, you can't really look around and we we use the analogy of inner psychedelic experience it's a bit like diving down underwater going deep into your deepest feelings looking around and then looking in all the shells opening them up finding finding some inspiration finding a pearl swimming up and then being able to kind of burst through the surface of the sea and be able to actually look around and that sense of they've been on a journey and now they can take a deep breath and then they can decide what they want to do so it gives them that sense of perspective they're not treading water constantly yeah. but it also gives people the sense of motivation
1: well, no, i wanted to actually i'm trying to think how to reframe that uh, frame this question because mm. obviously um i'm not sure if you're sort of like, I know it's sort of like a neurological question, but is there any sort of um, data suggesting, sort of like on a neurological level, what's sort of going on inside within inside of someone's self?
2: Well, the self—it depends what you mean by the self. I mean, I guess in a way, we yeah. the Cause I, I was jumping because yeah. that's what I was going to. Yes,
1: the reason why I was sort of stuttering with the question for was because it's a, it's a hard question to frame because I'm also aware of that there's sort of biological aspects of the self mm-hmm. and then maybe the spiritual parts mm-hmm. of the self. So it's
2: yes, a, I suppose the way I've come to say it is that. The, the biological parts of the self is, is, the, is the ego is the default mode network and um, that's the part of us that kind of keeps us safe it's a protective part it's the parts of our brain that there to keep us safe which mm. makes sense that's what your self does um, it gives you a sense of self and you need that sense of self to be able to you know function, yeah. it, function and interact with others and not get run over um, but it's actually the way I've come to say it is only when you can deactivate that or silence that protective self that you can get down to something much deeper, which is, I guess, what you might call self with a capital S, like deeper self. But that is something that I don't know whether we can pick up on brain scans. Maybe maybe we will be able to, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I'm a psychologist rather than a, a neuropsychologist, so yes. my area is more looking at qualitative findings and certainly people describe them, beautiful, beautiful quotes describing this feeling of getting into self. And what, they, what our patients usually say is that, when they get into that that deeper self, it's a much bigger self, and it's very interconnected. So it's interconnected with other people. It's interconnected with nature. Actually, I had a session on Tuesday with um and the, the the patient, um described how in the room he was merging with me and the other um, therapist, that the three of us all merged together into this kind of soup of being, and that feeling of interconnected soupiness, I think, is what. Um, maybe the big self is and maybe that doesn't correlate with an individual brain because it's something kind of bigger than that
1: yeah I like that I was going to I was just trying to think because sometimes when I have these conversations I'm trying to think should, should I Should I sort of ask you things some of my own questions mm. what I'm sort of struggling with yeah. and things please and, do and um, one of the things that come up there when you were talking about that uh, interconnected session where you said that mm. uh, the, was it was a girl or a, a, a man a man yeah. you said Yeah. where you were was, was talking about how you, you felt he was interconnected with the therapist in yeah. the room and stuff I had a very similar experience with my uh, best friend, mm. where we uh, ingested sort of, um, I'm gonna use the word secret plant medicine, cannabis. I know a lot of people don't call uh, cannabis a plant mm. medicine, but for me, it has been after yet. this experience, I mm. uh, underestimated it, got yeah. me arse kicked basically, <laughs> and, and then um, had this experience. Mm. But that was a, I've always wanted to try and, I've never found the right person. I think you might be the right person mm. to sort of put a bit of clarity on it. But me and my best friend, we've always tried to figure out what was really going on. Because just to give it a little bit of context, me and my friend, we know sort of each other's tendencies very well. Our sort of fears, our desires, things like that, as you do with your best friend. Mm. And we <coughs> had this sort of um, experience where our higher selves were merging mm. via each other's sort of bodies in mm. a way. But vi- and it, this thing was going. Give, I was giving him lessons. He was giving me lessons. Healing each mm. other, showing our darkest aspects of ourselves, mm. having an ego death. Is that, a common, is that a common thread, do you find?
2: Um, so we haven't, obviously in our study, it's an individual study, so it's just one patient and the two therapists. So we don't really see that, but we do hear people. We, we also have an integration group, an integration circle, that meets once a month in London. And we often hear people describing these kind of experiences, especially when they've been to ceremonies with someone they know, this kind of um, communication on some level. And I have no idea what, what it's yeah, about, well, it? but all I know is it's, it's usually described as a really wonderful experience by people, and then it opens up lots of questions for them. So I guess if it was if it felt like a good thing for you, then yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Just I mean, appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> de- yeah,
1: definitely. I'm with you on that. And yeah. I wanted to touch on the side of um, just with talking about that topic as well, and within that experience, what I had was the. I mean, I'm sure you've had this encounter before, and I'm trying to come to terms with what it actually is. Is you know, in a sort of a psychedelic experience where you where the you, you get a sense of the, the ego is trying to hold on and not, not trying to, it doesn't want to surrender mm. and you go through the process of where your body goes through these um different fluctuations in temperature where mm. you go to cold, to hot mm-hmm. and you have the, the shaking of the body. Yeah. Do you know what it is? Is that the, because something that I thought, I, mean, I don't know, I don't know, maybe you'll speak on it, but maybe it's the, I thought it was like something to do with me ego trying to sort of mm. being scared and.
2: Hmm. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we certainly see those kind of temperature fluctuations. I mean, in a way, the way I've come to see that is that there's some kind of homeostatic balancing that takes place in the body um, and that all of those regulating systems can be involved in some way. Um, because, so, yeah, sometimes people get cold, sometimes hot. It feels like it's kind of finding yeah. finding balance somehow.
1: What about the ego part of itself? You have questions of, is it, is it the ego trying to hold on or anything?
2: I mean... We usually see that pretty early on, maybe, yeah, maybe it would be around the same time that the ego is kind of starting to experience dissolving and trying to hold on a little bit. Maybe it would. It's an interesting idea. Um, Yeah, maybe, maybe. It
1: actually was early, quite early on in in Mm, the sort of, in the experience, so... Just well, well. I think, what about the, um, the the sort of the work you do with the shadow aspect when you have a, mm. when you're doing a sort of um, working on, a, say, a client or something, mm. what's, mm. how do you, how do you sort of unravel the shadow aspect of the self?
2: Well, it it happens of its own, I mean, it happens, in that, the whole process, it seems yeah, like, an, like <laughs> an organic yeah, yeah. process, so we don't really in any way direct the sessions, we don't ever really um, suggest that people go to a particular place. I like that. Yeah, it's very much just their own. They are their own therapist and we just support them. So we just, all we need to do is make sure that they feel really safe and really comfortable and really willing to go into difficult places. And so I guess in our preparation, we prepare people for going into the pain, going towards the pain rather than away from it. The metaphor we use is like, I don't know if you've ever played that game where someone hides something and you're looking for it and they say like hotter hotter when you get closer to it or colder colder if you get further away so we we describe it a bit like that so if there's some pain somewhere when you go towards it you can feel more and more anxiety and that's like hotter hotter you're going towards the treasure and if you distract from it and go away from it decide that you don't want to go towards it that's like colder colder so sure it might feel nicer to turn away from something horrible the shadow um, and go towards something beautiful, but actually, you can choose that if you want. But you are going colder, colder, colder. Whereas if you go hotter, 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 it feels can feel terrible. But you're going for it, and you might have a really amazing breakthrough or a transformation as a result of it. So we really encourage if, if some, some shadow aspects arise, we wel- we encourage people to welcome it with open arms.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Could you could you sort of um, talk us talk us through sort of a, um, a st- I know I'm not the right word, standard, because I know it's going to be different for yeah. every single person, but yeah. could you just sort of maybe talk us through the process of yeah. what what an actual session looks like? Yeah,
2: yeah. So a session, it really has three parts, the preparation, the session, and the integration. So on the preparation day, somebody comes um, for the whole day with us. They have a brain scan in the morning. Then the therapeutic part of it is they have lunch with us. We've already met them a few times for a few preparation, like screening sessions, so we know them a little bit. But we have lunch. It's the two therapists and the participant, and we have just getting to know each other as human beings really, just sharing a meal together and then we have all afternoon to talk through all their questions and do a visualisation with them and help them listen to the playlist with the headphones on and the eye mask on so they can get a sense of how it's going to be. It's like a run through really and then the next day, then they stay over and the next morning they come back and the capsu- they take the capsules at like nine o'clock in this beautiful room with a nice comfy bed and the playlist is very important. The music is absolutely essential. It's, it's very much... Um, the most prominent aspect of the therapy, actually. For somebody going through a psilocybin experience, the music is the most salient aspect. Um, and they listen to the music, and then at the end of the day, and, and they, the amount of communication they have with the therapist is, is varied. Sometimes we'll be holding their hand all day. Sometimes it's just hardly any communication at all. Mm. And then at the end of the day, they talk through what they've seen and felt, and the next day they come back for an integration session, which is a therapy session where they... Just start to make sense of what what they've been through
1: with is it is a big component of this sort of what you're doing as well as a, the surrender aspect you have to sort of try and get across the surrender aspect because mm. i found that from your own self is it's the surrender aspect it's a big yeah. part of it
2: absolutely yeah it's probably the most important word i say if i was thinking about ps- psychedelics and i had to describe it in one word i'd probably say mm-hmm. surrender Definitely. because they enforce surrender and it's very hard to surrender and it's hard to get the mind to shut up so um, and for me, surrendering is about letting go of what you think is right or wrong and just saying yes to the body and whatever the body is doing. Um, for me, surrender is about going from the mind and into the body and just allowing whatever process is emerging to, to take shape.
1: Yeah, I, lo- I love that. I think, I mean, I've found that in my own life when I think in general practice, I think when you're coming from a place of headspace, it's it's hard to make sort of decisions. It's hard to have a conversation yeah. really because, you, you know, you, don't, you understand what I mean? You yeah yeah absolutely. something um something else I wanted to touch on do you is I mean has this research been has this been sort of hard to sort of to do the research
2: it's been very difficult to get the permissions mm-hmm. um incredibly hard because it's a schedule one substance it's yeah. very difficult to research it which is crazy it's so bizarre that psilocybin which is safe and beneficial from what we can see so far is a schedule one substance and that's defined by it being dangerous and of no therapeutic benefit so it's crazy um but, so it's very difficult to do the research in that way, and I guess in other ways it's very easy because the work itself is a dream. It's, it's the most, it feels easeful, you know, it's lovely. You sit in a room with music and a co-therapist and a, a participant that you've got to know quite well, and it's lovely work. So the only part of, this, of the research that's difficult mm. is getting the, the permission, and then from that stage, I'd say it's um, very rewarding. Indeed,
1: I I know you know a bit, I think you have a bit of understanding as well about sort of how the process of within the general psychedelic community. Mm -hmm. um, Could you talk about the the sort of the early stages and and Mm. sort of, because I know uh, very early on when Rick Doblin was doing sort of trying to push this and things, obviously it was a lot harder initially in the beginning, but Mm. could you describe that process? Was it really hard in the beginning? Is it getting easier now to sort of, Mm. or is it still in a position where it's?
2: Um, it's getting easier. There's more and more research yeah. happening. Yeah, I think people, uh, the public are being educated about it. I think the stigma is lessening. And I think it's just going to get easier and easier, especially as the results from studies start to be published more widely. Um, and especially as our other mental health treatments are failing so badly.
1: I was going to say that with that being said as well, what you just said there. Is there, is there a retention from the sort of the medical side of things coming across?
2: Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Um, what I found fascinating is that The media have been very receptive, Um, the public have been pretty receptive as well, but actually the the group of people that I found most uh, resistant have been healthcare professionals and other other psychologists.
1: Mm, I found that actually, it's funny you saying that.
2: Mm. And I wonder whether there's an element of it that is about um, being quite protective of their own discipline, the way they work. I mean, if you've trained to be a psychologist for a long time and someone comes in and says, oh, I should do it this way, but there's no jobs available in that way and it's all very new, then it's easy to be, you know, kind of dismiss it. Um, But also probably health professionals are very cautious about the, the possible adverse events. And of course there have been, not in modern studies, but there have been adverse events in... The 60s, and when it's not done safely, and probably lots of people that work in A and E have seen people come in after taking too much acid at a party, and thinking that you know, running out to the middle of the road and having you know, there's you can it, then they're very powerful substances, and you can have all sorts of awful accidents if you're not doing it in a safe place. So, you can see why those people might be very cautious.
1: How does how how? So this was the next question. So you when you sort of um, embracing this sort of this work that you're doing, what what's, when you first started doing this? Um, Obviously, like you said, I know you come from like sort of an academic background. Mm. Is there any colleagues around you who were sort of, um, sort of sceptical of what you mm. do- what you were doing?
2: Um, colleagues from pre- places I've worked in previously, yes. Yes, I was quite surprised by it actually, but, but yes, a lot. Um, and I'm not sure how much that's changing, actually. And I, I mean, one thing we have seen the change in is GPs. So in our first study, a lot of the participants had GPs uh, say things like oh I wouldn't take part in that study you know you might lose your mind and that was really problematic for people because they'd come in with this you know people talk about set and setting the mindset you come in with and if you come in with your, your trusted doctor telling you that you might lose your mind you know that can really lead people to paranoid reactions um, if they start to feel things start to go a bit weird and then they remember the GP saying you might lose your mind I and mean, it's a recipe for a very stressful experience we found in this current study that people haven't described GPs saying that and actually there seems to at least in that community of healthcare professionals have been um, some kind of educational change and people are a bit more open to it.
1: It also as well what you've seen as well there about that sort of the effect of the cuz as you know you in your in what the practice that you do it's going to be it's the words that you use to the to the person that's in front of you is very mm-hmm. crucial because mm-hmm. if you look at the work of like um Bruce Lipton's work on the biology yes. belief and George yes, uh, yes, yes. Spencer yeah, playable yeah. effect of how yes, yes. that messaging can really impact yeah. a person's yeah. experience really
2: yeah absolutely yeah and that's why we, um, we have these mantras like in and through and trust let yeah. go be open and it's just these yeah, little primers of openness and and going forward with courage and trusting so yeah those it is so important to keep those messages because the message of of oh you might go crazy is so harmful in so many ways but the message of so a lovely story is um i i once worked with someone who had been um a participant in the study in Wis- the university of wisconsin and he'd been in the trial with the highest dose of psilocybin ever given to a volunteer and that's because they were doing it by body weight and he's very very tall mm-hmm. So they gave him, I think, his first dose was 40 milligrams, the second was 50, and the third one was 60. So 60 milligrams of psilocybin, it's it's an awful lot. And he had three incredibly painful experiences, each one more devastating than the last. And his guides, I remember him telling the story, and at one point he... um, he was just lying on the floor, completely broken, and he said, uh, like, just howled in pain. And he said that the, the female guide put her hand on his shoulder and just said, "Go deeper." And it's so like counterintuitive. What you think with someone would say, yeah, like, like, "Are that. you okay?" Like, "Oh no!" Like, almost like distracting them or trying to help them or like, "It's okay, you're okay." But it's like, "No, go deeper." Like, "Yes." Powerful that. Yeah, like you're in a dark place. Keep going. Go go deeper. Mm-hmm. How dark can it get? And the other thing was that then he, um, at one point he thought he'd lost his mind and he said, I've now gone crazy and I needed a, a wheelchair because I need you to admit me to the, psych- the psychiatric ward because I've got psychosis. And you can imagine a less experienced guide saying, oh no, oh, um! oh no, oh dear, uh, what's going on? Oh, freaking out. But in fact, what his guide said was, Yay! You've lost your mind. Well done. Keep go. You know, keep yeah, going. That, like brilliant. Like yes, yes fantastic. Yeah. Celebrating the 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 challenge and the intensity um, is the, is the way to go. I, for love, sure. I love that. That's powerful.
1: Mm. What is some of the sort of the positive um, pieces of research that's coming out of the the work that you do, you're doing? Um, is there any sort of, a certain individual maybe individual sort of participants' experiences that you can speak about?
2: Yeah, I mean, so uh, it's there are so many different ones. Um, I guess we are seeing overall, like, more processing of pain than, than we are seeing the kind of mystical-type experiences in this study. Maybe that's uh, partly to do with the priming and the the therapeutic framework, which is about, you know, if you're suffering from depression and you're going through pain, let's go there. So I'd say, um, yeah, I mean, I can think of a particular um, patient who, yeah, was just really stuck in experiencing his own kind of disconnection Mm. in in a place of real numbness and recognizing that his heart and his head were completely disconnected Um, and yeah really painful for him to kind of be there and in a way be quite um you know because people talk about psychedelic journeys like they're always moving and exciting but his was very much like stuckness for a long time but he still got lots of benefits from that experience
1: is it is there any areas that That sort of, because I know obviously funding is a big thing. Mm. And I I know a lot of people I've spoken to always have interesting ideas of where they want to take this sort of research next. Is there any areas that really sort of going around in your mind thinking I would Mm. love to do that?
2: Yeah, there is actually. I don't think I've ever actually said it out loud though. So where where Imperial is, where our clinic is, there is a um, Wormwood Scrubs, which is a uh, prison. And sometimes when I cycle home, I cycle past their outside gym. And I was just thinking, wow, imagine if when people have finished their prisons... Because I used to work in a prison before I joined the psychedelic world. I was an assistant psychologist in a prison. I was thinking, imagine if after people have served their prison sentence and they're about to be released, and you know they're kind of released back into the community, imagine if they could, before, like as a bridging place, before they went back into the community, they could come to a psychedelic clinic, if they wanted to, for a period of time, to just have some time to really explore what the process of prison has been for them, reconnect with who they are, and maybe group ceremonies together, you know, other prisoners, people to form a community with. I just think this kind of work can be so strengthening for people, um, so that's the study I'd like
1: to do. Yeah, I like that, I would love to see that. Yeah. Just in sort of, in closing as well, is there any sort of maybe things that you would like anyone to sort of understand or maybe... Some of that, you yeah. maybe I've missed out a question I didn't ask you.
2: One thing that's really interesting that we're finding is that a high dose of psilocybin sometimes has no effect really at all. Um, and so, and actually sometimes people describe how in ayahuasca ceremonies there'll be a group of people all having the same dose and one or two people will just feel nothing. And I'm really fascinated in, in those experiences and whether it's that that's right for the person at the time, that they weren't ready, or whether... Um, they didn't feel safe they didn't feel that they were they were able to to let go um but i think yeah i'd like to yeah i'd like people to know that that if they are doing a psychedelic ceremony somewhere um and that they feel it doesn't work for them it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them because sometimes people think that oh my brain's just not going to process this It, it might just mean that that time you you didn't feel safe or maybe it was what you needed but uh not feel bad about
1: that yeah i love that we'll leave it there thank you so much okay. for your time really you. cool po- uh, podcast thank you so much okay thank you thanks so much for listening to the podcast i hope you liked that conversation there i thought it was a really interesting one and as i mentioned unfortunately i lost complete track of time and i really had, had another 20 questions for Roslyn, but i just thought it was i really thought we'd been going for about one hour but we hadn't been who knows next time i'll revisit that topic again with her or maybe just do another podcast with her cuz she's interesting in general but anyway hope you like that conversation if you can find it in your heart and support the podcast through the patreon page as i mentioned i'm now i've now just sort of um found a place a definite place for the podcast for the podcast retreat that will be coming up in the future so if you want to head over to the Send Podcast website and just sign up for the email opt-in so that you guys can find out straight away as soon as, it's, as soon as the retreat goes all live, so you can sort of sign up for it. And also have a one-off donation option for the podcast as well if you want to support the podcast through that would be really incredible. Patreon still is the best way, but I know some of you guys just like to sort of donate money through that. It is the best way to help me to keep doing what I'm doing. So anyway, I love you all. Thanks so much for tuning in every single week. It really means a lot. Have some awesome conversations coming up. I really do. There's still some amazing conversations from my time at the Brayton Convention. Really is some incredible ones coming up. I've kept some of the best ones that last. Um, also as well, just to play this conversation out as I always do, I'm going to play a song by um, Kim Churchill. He really is a powerful artist. This song is called Second Hand Car. It really is a cool song, it's an upbeat one. So anyway, enjoy this song. Peace out, people, and I'll catch you next
0: morning wanders in Taps on the window. parked on the street in a side of town that I've never seen before. I stumble to the street, make a call on a payphone. Still have a sleep if you pick up now, then I'll probably come home marry me, I'm addicted to no one, and a part of me is here, another part of me is gone, like heaven in a cage, don't need a world that doesn't change, and did I stumble? I'm a little bit in peace Keep locked in my memory like heaven in a cage. Don't need a world that doesn't change. And did I stumble? I'm a little bit in peace. Oh. Sure. Yeah.